Luke 23. We're, Lord willing, going to conclude our series on the seven sayings of Christ from the cross this morning. And so we're going to read the saying that we are currently on, uh, which is in Luke chapter 23 and verse number verse number 46. Luke 23 and verse number 46. It says this, when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, "Father, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Last week we studied uh, the the term father and we we showed, we saw how that uh, during the time that the Lord was upon the cross, he started out by addressing when he prayed on the cross in uh, some of the sayings, he addressed God as father. And then in the one saying, which was the fifth saying, he addressed God as my God, and then, and then in the final saying, he again addressed the, the Father, God the Father, as the Father. And we looked at that, and we also looked at the significance of what it means to be a, a, a son or daughter of God, a child of God, last week. And uh, I know that I enjoyed that, uh, looking at that, that subject um, and looking at the verses related to that. So what we're going to do... Uh, this morning, after we pray, is we're going to kind of examine uh, this statement and uh, look at the different parts of it, maybe go a few different directions, basically kind of uh, tying up some loose ends about uh, the Lord, the moments up to the Lord's death upon the cross, and, uh, and kind of examining what, what He said in this statement. So let's pray, and then we will, we will uh, look at some verses here. Our Father, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to gather together as your people, and uh, thank you for this uh, somewhat special day as we meet together, to not only to have our uh, church service, but also to fellowship together uh, between the two services. Lord, thank you for those that have come out uh, this morning, and Lord, I, I just ask for your blessing and help and grace, not only upon our class, but all the classes where the Word of God is being explained and taught and where, um, where uh, different people are being instructed. Lord, I pray for your, that you would be glorified through those things. And I also pray for the church service to follow and the, the singing and the preaching. Lord, bless it, we ask. And as we look at your Word in uh, Luke 23, 46, and as we look at the final saying of your sayings upon the cross, Lord, just guide us, we ask. We pray that you would teach us. And uh, I pray that your spirit would take control over not only what I say, but also the way each one of your people here this morning hears the word. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. And so in Luke twenty three forty six, you have uh, the Lord says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. So this idea of commend, that's what I want to look at first. Uh, the idea of commending something is sometimes we think of the word commend as like you, you recommend something. You would say, you know, well, we, uh, you know, something that is praiseworthy or noteworthy, you would commend them, commend that person for their, the good job they did. But, of course, that's one of the meanings, but the other meaning is what's found here, and that means to entrust. That means to entrust. When you 
Uh, when you go to the bank, you are commending your money to the bank. You are entrusting the bank with your money. And that's what this word here means, uh, the same as the word entrust. And so the, the Lord Jesus Christ, moments, just uh, as it were, seconds before He uh, dies upon the cross, He says, he, he addresses the Father and He says, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. So the Lord is entrusting, He is entrusting His Spirit to the Father. In other words, obviously, this is, a, this is similar to every Christian, every time a, a Christian dies. And because Jesus uh, died for our sins, was buried and rose again, every Christian can die similar to this. Well, how is that? Well, because we have entrusted our spirits, our souls, if you would, to God. And we have committed that to Him as a, as a sacred trust. And uh, so I just want to look at this idea of, of, uh, of commending, the Lord commending His Spirit, because there are other verses in which this, uh, this, this concept is, is used. But the idea of entrusting uh, something to God. So let me ask you a few questions uh, to kind of get started. What kinds of things, what things do we entrust to God? What kinds of things do we entrust to God? I have, I have three things written down that are based upon verses that, that kind of talk about this subject. But what things do we entrust to God? Now, what I mean by that, before, before anybody tries to answer, don't all raise your hand at the same time. But the idea being that when we, when we entrust something to God, we commend it to God. It is something that we possess. That's... Of course, there's that it can be used in other ways. Entrusting uh, something to God can that can be used in a number of ways. In fact, it's used in the Scripture in a number of ways. But as it as it relates to what we're talking about here, the Lord Jesus has a spirit. I'm, I don't want to get. I'm not trying to get too technical, but the Lord has a spirit. In other words, he's, there's something that he possesses, something of great value. Okay, I'm just kind of applying it. Something of great value that he possesses. That that thing. He is entrusting to the Father because He's about to die, okay? So what do we have that is of great value that we can entrust to God? Our soul, that's one of the ones I have. Very good. That means you're right because it's the same thing as I wrote down. No, just kidding. But exactly, our soul is something. That we, what else do we entrust to God that's something precious or valuable that we possess that we entrust to God. Yes, sir. Our will? Like how? What do you mean? Oh, okay. See, that's also similar to one of the ones I wrote down. And anybody else wanna, want to... Uh, what else do we have that we entrust to God? Our prayers? Yeah, that's in a way. That could be... That's not one of the ones I wrote down, but... We entrust to God our prayers. That is, you know, the Bible describes how that uh, the prayers of the saints are in a bottle. You know, I don't know if there's like some sort of, you know, in heaven there's some sort of bottle with all this, all, uh, a rack of bottles of all the saints' prayers. But the idea being is that God keeps the prayers, right, and remembers them. And so we entrust them. A lot of times, how many prayers have you prayed and you forgot that you prayed them long ago? But you, by praying, that's, that's true, you've entrusted it to God. Exactly. So there's a lot of things that we entrust to God. But the key thing here is 
The basis of our entrusting something to God is faith. Is faith. You entrust something to someone else because you want to prevent it from loss. You want to keep it from loss, guard against loss. You entrust something to God because we count God to be faithful, right? In other words, He is worthy of that trust. And then we also, uh, we also entrust something to God because we know that in the end it will be safe. It will be safe. So let's look at a few things that we entrust to God, scripturally speaking. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. This, now, 1 Peter chapter 4, of course, one of the main themes of 1 Peter is the idea of um, suffering. And chapter 4, verse number 19, look at what it says. 1 Peter 4, 19, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well doing. The word commit, entrust, commend, they're, it's all the, they're all synonyms here, okay? Commit the keeping of their souls to him in well doing, as unto a faithful creator. Okay, so here's a person who is suffering. Here's a person who is suffering, and in 1 Peter in particular, it's not just suffering because you know you fell down and broke your leg. This is suffering as a Christian. That's what 1 Peter is talking about. Suffering for that particular purpose. So here's a person who is suffering, and the, the exhortation, the, the command is, let them that suffer commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing. So the, the first thing that, that we should entrust to God, of course, is our soul. Is our soul. Your soul is the most valuable thing that you have. Your soul is the most valuable thing that you have. It is something that when lost, it is lost forever. Now that means, that means we have a soul, but that means we can lose, we know the verses, we can lose our own soul. And of course, that, we know that refers to being, to perishing in the lake of fire. But we can lose our own soul. But the only way that you're going to keep your soul from being lost is by entrusting it to God's care. That's it. What, is it. what do I mean by that? How do you entrust your soul? What I do not mean is I do not mean this kind of nebulous, well, I pray, I pray every day that God would keep me safe. That's not what I'm talking about. That's entrusting your safety to God. When you entrust your soul to God, you are, you are taking the most valuable thing that you are, really what you are, your soul is what you are. And you are committing it to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. You're entrusting your soul to Him and His keeping to, to save you from the just punishment that you deserve in hellfire. You're entrusting that He is going to keep you and He is going to preserve you even through death, you see, even through death and, and into the afterlife, that you're going to, we, we, in, this is not common vernacular we use, but 
The idea, idea being is when we trust in Christ, we are entrusting our soul to Him. That He is the Savior and that He can save us and that in the final day, when we, when we pass out of this life, that we will finally land on in, in, God's, in God's heaven. That's what we're entrusting to God. And in suffering, it's important that we understand at this point, he's saying you need to entrust your soul to God in your sufferings. Now, I'm going to say more about that in a minute, but let's go on to the next one. Look at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Matthew 6, verse 19, says this, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The second thing God wants us to entrust to Him is our treasure. Now, we're not talking about silver and gold and numbers on a bank statement. We're talking about, because all, we know all of those things, no matter how much money we have, no matter how many cars we have, how large our houses are, uh, it doesn't matter how many businesses we own, how many stocks we have, none of that will endure. None of it. Not one, not one coin, not one thread of any of it will endure. That's just a, that's just a fact. That's just a fact. So God tells us then, because these things do not endure, God tells us then that in the same way that we would, that, that the world would gather riches, so God tells us through doing His will, he tells us to lay up treasures similarly in heaven. Now, if we're laying treasures up in heaven, that means what we are doing on earth, God will reward us for those things. That's the first thing. God will reward us. And number two, those rewards will not be down here necessarily. That's what it means. So first of all, you have to understand that when you lay up treasures in heaven, we are not looking for what the televangelists say that we should be looking for. These earthly, temporal kind of blessings. You, you do this for God, God's going to give you a new Maserati. Or you do this for God, and God's going to give you a new Beamer. Or whatever kind of European car that Pastor Stewart likes. An Audi A6, right? See? A brand new Audi A6 or a Land Rover Defender, but the old style. Yeah. But when you lay up treasures for he in heaven, you're that. Listen, that's a again. That's what I talked about faith. That's a statement of faith. Why is that? Because you are acknowledging that it's in heaven, not here. You're laying up treasures in heaven. You can't see it with the physical eye like you can a bank statement or a or a a pot of gold. You but you see it with, your, with the eyes of faith, knowing that, that those treasures that God will give you as a result of your 
you're living for, loving, loving Him and, and walking with Him and obeying Him, those things that you're laying up are laid up in heaven. They are being kept by God, you see. They are being kept. You've entrusted and committed those things to Him. And He says they're safe. That's what these verses say. Those things are safe. Okay, let's look at the next one. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Very similar language to what we just read in uh, Matthew. It's almost like it's just, it's just one author between the two. It's amazing. Colossians 3 verse 1 says this, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above That sounds like where the treasures are, right? Lay up treasures in heaven. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affection, again, we're talking, thinking about treasures, on things above, not on things on the earth. But there's one more thing going back to, you know, what Ari said, Ari's answer. For for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Again, your life is hid. It is, in other words, you you see and know it by faith. As As a believer in Christ, our true life is not the life that we live down here. We understand this is passing away. Our true life is hidden. In other words, you can't see it. With Christ, where's he? In heaven. So even our life, like Ari's saying, is, is committed to God, entrusted to God. What do I mean by that? In other words, the way we live we, our life, our day-to-day, doing the will of God is an act of faith, whereby we understand that we are not to live unto ourselves, that our life down here is to be lived unto God because we, have, we believe that all the things we do here and the result of all those things in our life, our, our life is not to be living for our, lived for ourselves, but for God. We do it with an eye toward God. You see, we have entrusted our life to Him. We, we have in, that's why we live for God down here. We live for God down here because we believe that our life down here should be lived for God. The treasures that we build up are in heaven and that, we, and that we believe and know that our soul is safe with God. And so we don't live, we should not live for this life, but we live for the next. You see what I'm saying? We don't live for what's down here. We live for what God has for us there. Sometimes people have trouble with this, with this concept, but I mean, that's, this is a, a purely biblical concept that we live unto God, but we do so on the basis of faith. Listen. If all the things that I've just read are not true, if there, God has no treasure for us if we do His will, if, if salvation and, and forgiveness of sin through Christ and His blood shed upon the cross and His resurrection, if, if that's not real, and if our life is really not hid, hid, hid with God, if, 
if none of these things that we, that, that, if none of this is actually real, then why do we do it? We do it because we believe and are fully persuaded that when we entrust these things to God, it does matter. That when we entrust it to God, it will come to fruition and it will be fulfilled like God has said. That's a trust. That's what, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. We are commending, we are entrusting our life and these issues that we talked about. We are entrusting those with God, believing that what God has said will do you believe, Brother Moyer, do you believe that the things you have done for God, that God, the rewards that, that God is pleased to give you as a result of faithful, loving obedience, do you believe that you will actually, those will be realized when you get to heaven? If you did not believe that, why would you do it? Right? You do it, not just for the reward, obviously. You do it because you are persuaded that you have entrusted that to God and God is going to do it. Right? When a Christian suffers, they suffer with an eye that God is going to keep them. That even though they suffer here, the things that they have entrusted to God, God will do. When we live for God down here, we live for God knowing that the, the fruit, the result, the, the reward of what we do for God will not be realized here, but we trust God that it will be realized there. We count God faithful to do that which He has said, and we believe that the things that we have done in the sight of God, again, this is not just robotic obedience. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about loving, heartfelt, sincere obedience to what we know is the will of God. That's, that's the Christian life. It's not just like keeping, keeping, checking a bunch of boxes. Because God's looking at our motives too, right? The reason why we do what we do. Why do we live for God? Why do we do the good works that the Lord has, has uh, directed us to do? We have entrusted God, uh, those things to God. We do it because we know that it really does matter. And it will finally be realized. That's, we have this sacred trust with God. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy chapter 1. Look at verse 12. It says this. <clears throat> I'm sure most of you have heard this verse. For the which cause I also suffer these things. So first you see the same thing, suffering. Paul is suffering. Now why would Paul put himself into a position to suffer so greatly for the name of Christ? Why would he do that? He, he, he does that upon the basis of faith because he believes that his suffering for the name of Christ mattered. That 
in the end, in the final outcome, it was to God's glory and benefit, truly, that all that he, he believed and hoped that God had said would finally be realized. That's the only reason a Christian suffers for the name of Christ. He suffers because he has, a, he has entrusted this to God. That's why he continues. God sees it. And listen, that's, that's, honestly, that's the basis. This is the basis for all of our obedience as a Christian. In Matthew chapter 6, we just read, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The basis of that is faith. But if you look at the context, trivia question. What is the context of Matthew 6? What comes before, especially comes before the part that I read? Anybody know off the top of your head? Right? We study in discipleship, right? But how did the Lord tell, uh, Zach, how did the Lord tell us to pray? Where should we go? Say again. Well, yes, yeah, we pray to God, but in what, in what location? Privately. When we fast, God says we should fast what? Privately, secretly, right? Why, why does he say that? Because we're entrusting that to God. We're saying there is no reward here. We're not doing it for the sight of men to have reward of men patting us on the back and praising us. No, we're saying, God, you see and I trust, I am entrusting this to you, that you see what I'm doing and you will smile upon it like you have said. That's a trust. We're committing ourselves to God in that way. See what I'm saying? That's why we do it secretly. That's why we pray and serve God secretly and privately, not to be seen of men. We do it because we have, in, we have commended ourselves to God. We have entrusted ourselves to Him. And this is why, this is at this point is where we usually lose religious people, simply religious people. You know why? Because if for a religious person, just a, an average religious church-going type person, if there is not a physical, temporal, immediate reward for what they do, they don't do it. It's just that simple. They don't do it. If nobody sees it, why do it? Because they have no sacred trust with God, you see? But for us, the basis of a sincere and genuine uh, life of obedience to God and His will is done because simply because we say, God, you see, and that's enough. God, you see, that's enough. First Timothy, Second uh, Timothy, chapter two, verse uh, chapter one, verse twelve. For this cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Again, counting God faithful. We're not talking about. We're, not, we're talking about the character of God. God is faithful. The reason why we entrust these things to God. The reason why Christians live for heaven. And I know some people mock that, but that's really what it's about. I'm living for the one that's in heaven, right? You should be living for God in heaven, His eye, His reward, His smile. But when we do that, we're doing that upon the basis of our faith that God is faithful. I know whom I have believed, right? This is the person of God. 
I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. What's interesting is in this verse, whatever it was that Paul had committed unto him against that day is not, is not stated. I love being a missionary to Cambodia. I love one thing I've, the Cambodian language taught me to appreciate is there's a the, Cambodian language has a has a power to speak ambiguously very very easily when you don't want to tell somebody something exa- with spe- specificity you can you can just yeah you you can, you can just be nebulous and very general and it's perfectly okay whereas in English if you did that it'd be like all right you're not you're dodging me but in Cambodian it's perfectly normal I love it In the Bible, sometimes you have that. Paul doesn't tell us what he had committed to God. Because the truth is, as a Christian, we commit a lot of things to God. Like like Brother Moyer said, our very soul, our, our soul's salvation, our eternal life, is in the keeping of God. If what God said isn't true, if he's not faithful in what the Bible says, which is his word, if what that says is true, then all our money's gone. Our deposit is lost. It's like this Carolina investors. Y'all remember that? I know that... Pastor Stewart might not because I don't think you were in Greenville at that time, but was it around like 2000 or something like that? What was it? Maybe late 90s. Anyway, a bunch of people, it was an investment company, a local investment company, they put their money into Carolina investors and they lost practically all of it because the investor was not honest. They entrusted their, their, their deposit to them and it was lost. But see, we do that all the time with the Lord. We entrust our deposit, our eternal deposit, where it be our soul, our life, what we do, why we do it, or the rewards that we hope to to receive at the hand of the Lord, not for the reward's sake, but as a symbol of God's approval. We commit those things to God and we say, God, I'm hoping that I'm trusting you. You're faithful and you're going to do it. That's what Paul's, this is a deposit. What have you committed to God? What in your life, what in my life is given over and entrusted to God's care? Now, I'm not talking about physical things. I'm talking about the way you live your life, what you do every day. Do you have a lot laid up for God, to, to God and, and, and entrusted to his care? Because that's the way we should live. Your life is hid with Christ in God, right? It's up there. God will not allow it to be lost. 2 Timothy 4.8 Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Just look at that. 2 Timothy 4.8 This is the same principle. Verse 7. Now we talked about verse 7 a couple weeks ago. Paul says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. What was Paul's reward for that fight? Down here. What was Paul's reward? What was the product of his fight for the Lord, his race that he had run? What was the product? He was sitting in jail, basically on, essentially on death row. And in the end, he would be executed, as far as we understand. The Bible doesn't say that, but historically, they say Paul was beheaded as a Roman citizen. Okay? That was his reward down here. So obviously, he wasn't living for what, what was down here. He was living for that which he had entrusted to God. 
And he said that in chapter 1, verse 12. And in this case, he says, this gives us a hint of what exactly he's thinking. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, again, the crown is not the focus, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me. There's the focus. I, I'm convinced that the crowns are nice, you know, symbolic of representative of authority. You know, that's what a crown is, right, in, in the Lord's kingdom. But really, I think the, the greatest thing is the person that gives it to us. Public praise from God. That's what the rewards are, right? You walk around and strut around with a crown? No, no, no. That was a crown that God gave you. Eternal public praise. Shall give me at that day, same as in 112, that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Interesting. First Peter chapter 1, verse 4 says, he says that we have an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, reserved for us. It's laid up. It has been deposited with God, and it is safe. This is why, listen, I might not get to much else, but Anything that you do not commit to God will ultimately be lost. Anything that you do not entrust to God will ultimately be lost. Again, I'm not talking about physical things. Those things can be lost. Anything you, you do not commit to God and entrust in His care will be lost, period. Your soul, your treasure, your life, all of it. If it's not in God's care, it's lost. What does that say about how we should, what our, our ultimate purpose and, and mission should be for living, reason for living? Now, I just want to touch on a couple more things as we, as we tie up this right before we go, we, uh, we, we get to the very end where the Lord dies in Luke chapter 23, verse 46, the Lord says, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. Um, what's interesting is there's, a, there's a, a, a stark contrast. In fact, Joseph, can you read a verse for me? Uh, look at, Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31. The hands of God. Jesus, in this, in this case, is commending His Spirit to the hand of God, entrusting it to the hand of God. In other words, you, you visualize someone taking something that is precious and valuable that you do not want to lose. That's what we've been talking about, right? And in putting it into the hand of someone, that's a, an act of trust, okay? But those same hands are being described by Joseph in, in Hebrews 10.31. Uh, 
where it's not someone who is it's not someone who is going to God to entrust and put in his hand something they do not want lost. But it is someone who is fleeing from God who is finally overtaken and falls into the hands of God's justice. The same hands. To those that know God, who are His children, who are born again, their hands of mercy, their hands of trust, to those that do not know God, it's hands of judgment, severity. I want to read this psalm, psalm number 18, real quick. I'm almost out of time, but Psalm 18, verse 25 says this. Interesting. With the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. With an upright man, thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure, thou wilt show thyself pure. And with the froward, thou wilt show thyself froward. So the same hands of God can be used for multiple purposes. They can be the, the hands of safekeeping for, the, for, 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 for those of us that are His children who love Him and are entrusting things to Him, but it's the same hands that God will use to judge. And people, people live, honestly, they live in terror of that. They really do. In Luke 20, verse 17 and 18, the Lord Jesus describes a stone, and he says, he says two things. He says, he says in fact, I, I should probably just read it because we're right here. Luke 20, verse 17, listen to this. And he beheld them and said, What is this then that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken. That's a good thing. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Same stone. Same hands. See? Two functions. We should be those that run to God. Not that flee from Him. As we conclude... We read in, uh, in our passage in Luke 23 that Jesus, the Bible says, he, he said his prayer and then he, the Bible says he gave up the ghost. John 19.30 says that he bowed his head and then he yielded up his spirit. That's what John, uh, John 19.30. He bowed his head before he died. Because the Lord bowed his head when he died, because of his final prayer, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And because of the brevity with which he was on the cross. He was on, on there much shorter than people would normally be on the cross. All of these things indicate that the Lord Jesus Christ was in full control of his spirit right up until the moment of his death. In other words, he did not die passively like we do. He died actively. He died at the moment that it was, it was time for him to die. It was then 
not, death was not an inevitability that came upon the Lord. It was a duty that must be discharged by Him. And you think about someone who commits suicide, as terrible as that is, they don't even have control over their life. Because there's people that attempt suicide and are unsuccessful. That's not within our power. But the Lord upon the cross, when it was time, and He knew it was time, He bowed His head. And just like He said in John chapter 10, He said, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I lay it down of myself. We, none of us have that power. If I were to say to you, go ahead and die now, you couldn't do it. But Jesus did. Showing he had full control. Full control. And the last thing I just want to point out briefly is how that the Lord is, as he dies upon the cross, and you think of Stephen when he's being stoned, Stephen is, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, you know, outside Jerusalem there as he's being stoned. You see the, an example, the Lord Jesus as an example of, of a dying Christian. Now, Jesus wasn't a dying Christian, but as an example. He died having committed his soul, his spirit rather, to the Father. He died with the assurance that his spirit was safe. Right? And that's how every single Christian can die with that peace and that assurance and that trust in God, knowing that your soul and my soul is safe with God. Let's pray.